Hey, this is Pete Bauer from Pete Bauer Blog. Thank you for joining me today. Today, my guest is my daughter, Dorothea Bauer, also known as DC, because she's been involved in the creation of the Gabby Wells storyline from the very beginning. And so I thought it'd be good to have her here to talk about kind of the way we develop the story and characters and where we see this going in the future. So welcome, Dorothea. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We started developing this character, I think it was back in 2008, when we were trying to develop a movie trilogy idea. And one of the great things that Dorothea brings to the table is she's really good at character stuff. Historically, I've been, I've been more of a plot-driven kind of storyteller. She was always great at bouncing ideas off about character, or I would just kind of, I, once I figured that out, I would just kind of use her talents. I would tell her, well, you know, I'm having trouble with this moment at this time in the story. And then she would just go think about it for a couple of days and then come back and give me this very detailed (laughs) description of why Gabby felt this way and what Hamilton would do and how that affected their long and short-term relationship. It was pretty amazing. Actually, when you were in college, I remember one day out of the blue, you sent me a four-page email about the characters and what they did and why they did it and all that other stuff. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Well, I felt like I had to kind of make up a little bit because we'd been working on this process for such a long time. And before we realized that you were a plot guy and I was a character person, I was remarkably unhelpful in this (laughs) whole process. That is so true. (laughs) And you would try and get me to help you with plot. And I was just, I had no idea. Oh my gosh. I (laughs) I actually have those meeting notes. We would record on your drive to high school. Remember we talk on your drive to high school? I do. And I would just sit there and go, all right, so then what should happen? And you're like, I I don't know. It was basically (laughs) like a 20, 30 minute drive of me trying painfully so to try to get you to participate in plot. Well, and it's great because if you look back over those transcripts, most of my sayings are just, "Uh uh-huh. No, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Except when the character stuff came up. Then you would mention something and I would just say, oh, yeah, that's great because this connects with this character thing. So I was very, very unhelpful for the majority of the plot development of this. So I kind of felt like it was my responsibility to make up for my lack of talent in that area. Plotness. Plotness. And that that was good for me to like hash out the the storyline and so forth. But but over the years, you, you got to know Gabby so well. I always said that I created the character of Gabby Wells, but you know her better than anybody. And that's absolutely true. So we started writing this a long time ago in different formats. And then we decided to start writing uh, the novel. And we'll just focus on the first one for this. And that has uh, not been a very pleasant experience, but <laughs> I will say that you have been incredibly patient with me during the process because my daughter is a ferocious reader and knows novels backwards and forwards and actually is an incredibly gifted writer who will be better than I will ever think of being if she ever decides to put pen to paper. You guys should really quiz me on Harry Potter. Or only if you want to be geekified. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So anyway, so I just started the process of transferring these old screenplays and stuff into a book. And the process was me learning how to write a novel. I've always been a self-taught kind of guy. So I taught myself how to write screenplays and how to do everything else. So I thought, well, I'll just teach myself how to do this. And I think, how many drafts was it before we had a novel? I think it was draft 55 before I read (laughs) it and said... Now we have a novel, and then it really became draft one. I know, because (laughs) it wasn't a good novel. Well, it was just, it was a very different form of storytelling, because 
with the process of Gabby Wells as a film character, we went from a movie trilogy to a television series. So the chapters in the whole story for the first book were very episodic in nature, and that didn't really make for a good novel. So getting to the point where it was actually a good flowing kind of story in novel form took about 55 drafts. Yeah, 55 painful, painful drafts. And what I remember about the early drafts was how patient you were with me, because you would read this and you'd be like, well, you know, Dad, um, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, at this part, you usually don't explain everything about the character. I know in movies that when you introduce a character, you establish everything that the, the director and the actor need to know. But in a, in a novel, you actually kind of like reveal that over the course of the book. and Well, I do remember it was uh, very interesting because you were having a hard time with this process. And I, I understood why, but I don't think at the time you did. And so I, I have just no doubt I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> That's true. So I just turned to you and said, you know, Dad, you're very much a um, exterior house day kind of writer at the moment, which is how you write screenplays. That'll be this, the way you set up. You'll be like exterior house day and then you kind of set the scene and then dialogue happens. And novels you have to describe the house and the sun and all this other stuff and you were just like can I just get to the plot now so it was it was a really great partnership that we ended up developing through these stories um forged through misery and love and most mostly my misery <laughs> you felt the need to share well oh my gosh <laughs> and I feel so bad for I, I think I wrote a, a blog entry about this about don't share your first draft or your first 100 drafts or whatever like I feel so horrendously bad for those people who were forced to read any draft prior to like the last two. <laughs> and we're on what? Number 70? I thought we were on 90 at this it point. It could be in the 90s. I think oh. we're at 90. It, it all it all just blurs together. But the point of, of that is the reason we were so diligent in putting together this is when you can self-publish, you can publish it whenever you think you're ready. And there were times in this process where I thought I was ready. Or, more accurately, where I thought I didn't want to write it anymore. <laughs> that's, that's probably a better way of explaining where you were. Yeah, like it's <laughs> as good as it's going to get, and that's all you need to know. Um, so You kept saying, it was, it was very interesting, you just kept saying, I'm so over the story. And I looked at you and said, Dad, this is your story. <laughs> I know, but I've been living with it since 2000. And this story didn't probably occur till 2010. So... Three years and having developed it, written the story in screenplay form, then having to write it 50 times in novel form to make a novel, and then another 40 times to get where we're pretty close. We're in the polishing phases of this. But yes, it's been a very long process. And I think one of the most difficult things is that because it took so many drafts to get to where we are now, it became a problem where I couldn't edit anymore because I didn't <laughs> remember. I knew the story so well, I couldn't remember what I read because I remembered previous drafts and I just ended up closing the book one day and said, I don't know, you're going to have to get someone else to read this because I can't remember if you did this in this draft or in this draft. Yeah. And it's becoming an issue. And what was really bad is I was already working on book two. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were in there trying to hash away at <laughs> version 50 something, I'm on draft two or three of novel two. And then I'm going back. Well, you're like, I can't read this anymore because I, I I know the story so well. I don't know what I'm reading. So then I'm usually pretty good at reading stuff over and over again from a as if I can my I can shut my brain off and look at something new. But even then, I was really I I mean seriously, 
So they're like 50, at this point, 50 so official drafts, but that doesn't count all the times I reread something to get to the point where I was writing on a draft. So yeah, even I was losing track. And then <laughs> there were times where I'm like, oh, wait, does that is that book two? Wait, do I explain that? And so I wouldn't even know which book I was writing. And again, that was because I was teaching my brain how to approach the material. And it's it's so different. But one of the reasons that we focused on continuing to pursue to write the book better and better is I read a book called Platform by Michael Hyatt. And one of the great things that he says, and, and the book is about trying to create a platform to lift your product or you or whatever you're you're selling onto a pedestal above the white noise of all the other social media distractions that are out there. So it's it's how to get noticed in a very noisy world kind of thing. And one of his points early on in the book, his very first point, and, and he knows what he's talking about because he used to be the CEO of Thomas Nelson, the largest Christian publisher in the world. So he knew what he was talking about. And he said, make sure the very first thing you do is make sure you have a wow product. You know, I, that was a new, I hate to say it, but that was a new concept for me because, because before when we were, when we were making Christian movie stuff, Honestly, the quality was so horrendous in Christian moviedom that it didn't take a lot to be as good or, or better than a lot of the stuff. I'm not saying our stuff was great. Our stuff had problems, and that was because I didn't make it a wow product. I was like, well, this is certainly, this is the best I can get right now, and it's certainly better than what's a lot of the stuff I've watched. Because how many bad Christian movies did we watch? Oh, so many. I remember two movies in particular. We won't and name them, I though. won't name them. No, of course not. But... I remember in one of the movies, I actually begged the characters to stop talking because the quality of the video and the costumes and the set was actually very impressive. Yeah, especially for the budget. But the acting was so bad Ugh. that it was much more pleasant to watch without any sound whatsoever. Because <laughs> I just remember the characters started talking and you were like, no, shh, shh, it's okay. It's okay, stop talking. You're like talking to the screen, like, just stop talking. And, I mean, one of the actresses talked in this really fake, high-pitched voice, and I looked at that and said, there's no way that's actually what she sounds like. I just don't believe it. And then I saw behind-the-scenes stuff, and it wasn't what she sounded like. So that was a very interesting acting choice. But it just, the acting was so bad that I, I couldn't do it. And then there was another movie that you and I were watching together where there was just this one horrific scene where the acting was laughably bad and you just turned to me and the story was overly complicated and you just turned to me and said, do you want to watch this? And I said, no, oh, please, no, please, <laughs> can we please I was like, I was like trying so hard to be patient and because, you know, I, the way I'm wired is if I'm going to get involved in something, I need to immerse myself in everything about it so I can understand the business side and the creative side and everything. So I felt at that time my obligation was to watch as many Christian movies as possible I don't know. I, I probably earned treasures in heaven by doing that because <laughs> there were so many. And, you know, and it actually occurred to us just recently. And I and I wrote a, a blog post about this on Sunlight Pictures blog about that just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean you're going to be any good at it. Because the Lord calls you to do something because it benefits your growth and faith journey with him. It brings you closer to him. It doesn't mean it's going to be successful in this world or even any good. That's not the point of it. So a lot of people got caught up in the Sherwood Baptist, you know, facing the Giants thing and thought, well, the Lord's also called me to make movies. And they were just, most of them were really, really, really bad. But I felt like I needed to know what the marketplace was. So, and you were a movie buff like me. So I unfortunately made you as a young, young teen sit through 
about, I don't know, a good half hour of a lot of movies <laughs> before we would go, mm-hmm. all right, I can't, I can't, I can't. But with Michael Hyatt's book, Creating a Wow Product, it was something that with this story and with this novel, we, we just weren't going to settle. And I don't know how that is in comparison to the rest of the authors and writers out there. But we were still, we were going to do the best that we could possibly do. So that's why we're on draft 90 something. Well, and it is, it's a very hard thing to do to rewire your brain. It's kind of like you've been in this one mindset for writing for such a long time. And then all of a sudden you have to think completely differently. It's like studying a foreign language. All of a sudden you're like, okay, now you have to think in Spanish. And your brain goes, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. I actually had that experience when I was studying Spanish. I'd listen to people talk and be like, oh, I think I'm getting it. And then they start having an actual conversation outside of class where everything's, what's your favorite color? And I remember listening to people have a conversation. All of a sudden, I, my brain just shut down. I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, I was wrong. I don't understand. Yeah. So it is, it's a completely different process. And that's one of the reasons it's taken such a long time. But in the same respect, I think it's also increased your faith and um, assisted in your journey. And I think that has translated to the page as well. Yeah, it has. And the whole thing that started me down this entire path was a conversation when you guys were homeschooled and you were in middle school is we had a conversation with you and your friends, Caitlin and and the others who were at our house. <laughs> well, there were a whole bunch of others and it's not important gonna really to, name, to name the rest <laughs> of them. The others. The others. Caitlin's going to feel very special. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> And I just remember asking you guys what's, what was missing for young people of faith, what was missing entertainment-wise. And, and you guys said, well, there's just nothing for our age range. There's all kid stuff or adult stuff. But there's nothing just for young adults that has a little edge, has a little fun, it's entertaining, not preachy. And so that started down the, the whole path of whether it's Sunlight Pictures or, or this, this Sunlight Press in these novels. So when we were looking at creating the characters, it was really important that we were creating hopefully something entertaining first that had full rounded characters, not perfect characters, but just people like you and me, teenagers in the book who, who were just struggling with making bad decisions sometimes and good decisions. But they were characters, or at least the main character is Gabby, a character of faith. She's someone who is trying very hard to make right decisions. And like I was as a teenager uh, and like I am now and like I'm sure you are is still making a lot of mistakes as we go along. But the point is that she never stops trying to make the right decisions. Not She never gives up on her faith. But we wanted it to be wrapped around a, a real character, not a not a per- someone who, she's certainly not perfect. She's so flawed. And we also wanted to explore other types of stories because there are certainly plenty of stories that are romantic in nature when yeah. you go through Christian bookstores. And, you know, and that's equally wonderful kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. And it's wonderful to see religious romantic stories be present in society today. But one of the stories that we've really been drawn to is the conversion, not from Saul to Paul, but from Paul to St. Paul, because that's really the struggle that we're all going through right now. And we wanted to provide people with a character that they could genuinely identify with, because I already believe in God and I already believe in my faith. And I didn't need to convert to that point. I didn't have a conversion story because luckily yeah. I've been raised in my faith and I kept it. I haven't had any doubts in that. But there have been plenty of times when I've had conversations with God and it was just not fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. especially when I was a teenager, I would go through things. And when you're a teenager, everything's so dramatic and you just turn to heaven and go, you're, you're killing me here. This is so hard. And then you just get this whisper in your ear like, yeah. I was crucified. It was very painful. There were nails going through bones and skin. And 
you know, it really does put everything into perspective for you. But that's the daily struggles, because even though you know those things, sometimes you just get into arguments with God or just go, that's not fair, or just think it's really hard. There have been plenty of times that I've just been like, being Catholic is incredibly hard. So Well, well and I tried, you know, just like with, with watching as many Christian movies as, as I did, I, I, I try to read as many Christian novels as I can. And, and honestly, there's not a lot of Christian young adult novels that kind of fit the genre we're in. Like you said, a lot of them are romances or things like that. But but I'm a Hitchcock nut, so I'm always drawn towards mystery or suspense or things like that. So my stories are going to go into that vein anyway. And so there's not a lot out there, but even the sum that I've been able to find, you know, the ones that focus on the, the Saul to Paul conversion story, where the character is, is flawed and, and comes to some sort of epiphany at the end of the story and and, um, and has a religious conversion. It, those stories I found, at least with the, the few that I've, I've read, struggle in incorporating the religious aspect of the character throughout because religion isn't an aspect of the character throughout. So when, when they get to that moment of epiphany, it's kind of out of the blue. It, it, it seems to belong in a different, it's kind of like the story as we know it comes to a stop so that this event can happen. And so we didn't want to do that either. We wanted to make it just, because you know, when, when you're around with your friends and I'm around with, when mommy and I are around with our friends, our faith is just part of our life. I mean, it's a very important part of our life, but it's so, it's so common part of our life that it just, the issues that we, you know, struggle with our faith or, you know, we'll be talking about issues with the faith or church or something like that. And then, you know, we'll be talking about a football game and then a good place to eat. And then we'll come back to church. And, you know what I mean? It's just interwoven. So it's never one of these things where the whole world stops. So we talk about it because it's just interwoven with everything else in our lives. So we kind of want to create stories that are with characters like that. I mean, not every character in our stories is a strong believer, but the main character is. And I also think that's more dramatic. I think the eternal consequences of actions of a main character just add more dramatic weight to whatever challenges that she faces. I not only think it's a good decision because of where I'm coming from as a writer, but also I just think it's a good dramatic decision as a story, as a, as a story element. Well, and I think it's really nice too, because young girls or whoever's reading this can kind of look at Gabby and see her as being I don't know if she's always a good example. No. But <laughs> she is not. She's not a good example. But she is an example of struggling with your faith in daily life and overcoming it and succumbing it. And you can learn a lot from her story because life is not easy. It really isn't. And so that's why we're interested in telling stories of having to deal with daily life and the consequences of that. Because when the consequence is hell, when that's the consequence of what you're doing, everything has a little bit more weight. Right. And that was something that helped me a lot as a teenager in high school when people would try and peer pressure me into doing things that I didn't want to do. I remember one day I was really upset about something and I just felt really lonely and left out. And then I was like, yeah, but them or God, them or God, I really don't actually like them. And if I do this, I'm probably going to go to hell. And I definitely don't want that. So we're going to go with God. So it definitely puts things into perspective. But the consequences are so much more extreme when it's eternity. So it's nice to be able to tell those stories too and show that you're not alone in having those struggles. Yeah, and I think Gabby is an excellent example of trying to live the faith. I, I think because she never trying ever... Trying being the opportunity. Well, I mean, she's, she's really new at it. At this In this book, in this first novel, she's very new... There's that point in everyone's young adult life where they take what they've been raised with and they have to decide whether they're going to own that or not. And if you decide to own that and make it your own, then you have to decide what that means to you, how it affects your life. So 
in this first story, Gabby's at that point where she's like, okay, I kind of get it now. I, I like my faith. It's hard, but I like it. It's It's been very fulfilling for me. But the more I know about it, the more it expects of me and the more that interferes with my life. And, and worse off, the more it interferes with things that I'm already really good at. So the Lord wants me to stop doing what I'm really good at to do it a way I'm really bad at. How is that going to be successful? So there's just things I think, you know, when we say Gabby's not a good example, she's not a good example of making the right decisions all the time, but she's an excellent example of never, even when she makes the wrong decisions, recognizing it and going, well, all right, nope, I need to do better next time and always working towards the end goal. So uh, of being faithful. And it's a really interesting faith journey that I think a lot of people go through from acknowledging your faith and acknowledging the expectations and making certain decisions out of fear of the consequences of that, be they spiritual or in your family, any of those things, but then transitioning from fear to doing things because you love God, because there's a very big difference there. And when you have this love of God, then everything changes from being about punishment and restraint to being about completely trusting in his plan. And that's a really hard thing to go through and not everyone gets there and not everyone has the easiest time getting there. And so she's trying to get there. And that's really where her story is the most powerful. Yeah. And I think that you bring up a really good point because Early on in our all of our faith journeys, I think the easiest thing for us to comprehend is consequence. It's easier to understand being punished for doing something wrong than sacrificed for doing something right. Because as a child and everything, we've, we've been punished for doing something wrong. So the idea of going to hell, per se, is a very easy thing for us to grasp onto. And I think that's a very natural beginning point for altering behavior of people is a fear of going to hell. Because they get that right away. Obviously, you know, we we don't go to hell unless we choose to go to hell. I mean, that's all of, you know, God never sends anyone to hell. We, through our actions, choose to separate ourselves from him. And he's like, well, okay, there's a place for people who make that decision. That's over there. But the more you grow in your faith, as you said, it turns from this very basic simplistic fear of punishment to, oh, now I understand that it's me that's causing the separation this punishment is not something inflicted upon me, but something I choose. And so then you realize, wow, what do I have to choose not to go there? And oh, that requires to be like God, which requires sacrifice. And then the more I understand God, the more I want to sacrifice. And if you look at the lives of the saints, you know, they they continually take on, many of them were asked, are you willing to take the suffering that you're going through and attach it to mine on the cross? And, you know, Christ is saying, "We will you take on the suffering and offered up to me and just take part of my suffering on the cross. You're ready to link it together. And that is not a fear of going to hell, right? That is a, oh, I understand what suffering can do and how it can help people and how it can help me grow closer to you because it strips away all the stuff that's not important. And so, yes, I'm willing to offer up that sacrifice. And that's such a huge thing. And, and I'm really glad you brought that up because it's a very, that's the maturity of a faith journey goes from a fear of consequence to a willingness to sacrifice for God. So Gabby's at the very early phase of this in this novel. And sometimes just like even today, I mean, for the rest of your life, you're still going to face times where you know what you should do and you're kind of not willing to sacrifice today to do that thing. You know, and then you've got to go, I got to be better than that. I got to be better than that. But that struggle never ends. 
Well, and I think God definitely equips you with what you need to survive the journey. Just a personal example for me, and it wasn't even a very serious thing. Gabby deals with very serious things in her life. But for me, one thing that I'm Catholic and one thing I was praying about is God said, hey, I really want you to start wearing a veil to mass. And I don't really get embarrassed. Now what's a veil for those people who aren't Catholic or haven't seen one? It's a veil that you wear to mass. <laughs> Thank you for... No, I mean, so it's made of lace, Yes, right? it is. It's made of lace. It was very... I think it was actually required in pre-Vatican II um, that women had to cover their heads before they entered the church. And it doesn't cover your face. No, it just, it just covers It sits on the top of your head, down to your ears or side of your head or whatever. Yeah. And... That's, that's what I meant by describing <laughs> what a veil is, by the way. Future reference. <laughs> well, a veil is a very common term. A lot of brides wear. I those. know, but with there's a, like the Muslims have a different interpretation of a veil than they that. They don't call it a veil. Anyway, back to the story. Yes. <laughs> um, you know that's really I I don't get embarrassed easily, so I was like, sure, why not? And I just didn't really foresee the reaction that would happen. People stared at me. Like, throughout the entire Mass. And my veil was made of lace, so it's not like I couldn't see them. Like, I would just stare at people back and be like, I can see you. And after a while, it got, I, for someone, I don't get embarrassed very easily, but it was like, it got very embarrassing and interfered with praying. Because, you know, you're praying and people are shooting daggers at you. And it gets very uncomfortable. Which is odd, because you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. And there are several people who I remember being very oh my offended. Gosh. There's times at church where I would just look at, especially the young women your age were the yeah. most vehement, like the eye daggers were just insane. And I do remember there was one time when I was at school, uh, when I was away at college, and I went to Mass wearing a veil, and there was literally a circle of empty seats around me. Because no you got there early, right? Sit. Yeah, no one wanted so to So as people next. came in, they're like, uh-oh, freak with a veil. And you had like this, this, this buffer of freakiness. But what was originally incredibly uncomfortable, I continued to do it because I told God I would and you don't really back out on promises you make to the Lord. And so I just kept doing it and eventually it just became incredibly funny. At first I was very self-conscious and now I just think it's absolutely hilarious because, you know, if people stare and they get offended, it doesn't really make any sense. But at the end of the day, I'm not there for them. So you know, in, in that way, it was about kind of giving up my own selfish vanity and really just trusting in the Lord. And now I find it incredibly funny. So even though Gabby deals with things that are far more weighty and tragic than that, I think she goes through the same thing of having to learn to trust God and not always accepting that. So it's, it's a very, she's a very interesting character and I really love studying her. Yeah, it has been fun over the many years of developing <laughs> this that how much I really enjoy her imperfections and how much I totally enjoy her journey and where she ends up. It's really cool. It's really cool, but it's, it's a difficult journey. And also we try to also surround her with other characters that were reflective of the aspects of her life that she was comfortable with, aspects of her life that she's always wanted. She has this core group of friends that she lets so very few people into her personal life that they're very important to her. You may start out saying, oh, I know that character, right? Oh, I know that character. I've, I've seen that character. But then the more you find out about them, you find out that they're very different than probably the people you think you thought they were. Just like in, yeah, I mean, how many times in high school have you, did you look at someone and go, I know exactly who that person is. 
And then you find out you go and you meet him and you actually talk to him and you're like, oh, I didn't know your dad served overseas. Oh, I didn't know you lost your brother. I didn't, you know what I mean? And suddenly this this full rounded person comes in and you're like, oh, no wonder you're kind of a pain in the butt about that because that's a painful thing for you. Yeah, I didn't know you're paying the mortgage on your parents' house. You do. You learn a lot of really important lessons. So I'm excited about this novel. I think that what it offers young adults is first an entertaining story. It's uh, the first one's a mystery. Not only that, but it has a character that is equally flawed as the rest of us, equally challenged as the rest of us, very driven person who is also trying to figure out what their faith means in their life. So I think it's a different angle for that. I've, I haven't read a lot of stories. Actually, I haven't read any that have a character like her. <laughs> Um, but I haven't I haven't read as many books as, as others, so there there may be some out there, and I don't want to misquote. But I haven't read any yet that have a character that's like her, trying to do what she's doing, and without being preachy. Like the book never stops and goes, "Here's what it all means." It's just part of her existence, like we we're saying. It's she's worried about school, and then she's worried about meeting her father Peters for her weekly meeting, and it's just part of her day. And then she's got to go to her dad's store, and it's just one of the things she does. So it never stops to be preachy or anything like that. It's just a part of her character. Yeah, and I think that that's very important because, I mean, there are moments I'm a very religious person and there are moments people start to preach to me and I'm just like, oh, help. Yeah. Help me, someone. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's just a part of their life, which is really nice and very refreshing. Yeah. So we're on draft about... 97.3. Uh, I don't know. Sounds like a radio station. We're, um, I think that is a radio station. Yeah. So we're on, a, we're on draft 90-something. And uh, we have a few more to go before we're ready to call it a day. I mean, this novel will never be perfect. That's one thing I read recently about from another author was you're never going to make your book perfect, but make it the best you can make it and then start writing your next one. And in 10 books, you'll look back and go, man, that should be better. But it doesn't matter. You have to do the best you can and move on. And I'm just so glad I read that Michael Hyatt book because the book that I would have released would have been horrendous comparatively. <laughs> I mean, it really would have. And not only that, but it would have put any future thing that I did in jeopardy because that's the biggest danger with self-publishing is that you can get instant access to making your work available. But if it's not ready, that's that's it. I mean, who's going to try it? I mean, it, good Lord, if I was to release version 62, <laughs> right? It would have been, people would go, why would I ever read anything of this person again? So it's been a very good lesson learned, as tough and as painful and as time-consuming as it's been. I just feel the need to state for the record that we are not sponsored by Michael Hyatt in any way. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we I, just found his book extremely helpful. I would Although love to be you, sponsored. Yeah, if you would like <laughs> to pay us to promote his book, our contact information is on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it for this episode. We just kind of wanted to talk about the process that it's taken to get this far. I think so many people think it's easy to write a novel. And so many people equate having a good idea with having a good finished product. And I can tell from personal experience that, that, that those things are very, very, very far distance from each other. So we wanted to share that, you know, give those people who are struggling with draft 20-something, I envy you if you're close to the end and you're on 20-something, you know, just look, make it the best product you can and uh, don't settle for, for something that's less than you think it's possible just because you're tired of it. Make it the best you can and then move on. And pray. <laughs> and pray because you'll 
needed, especially around the 50s. <laughs> yeah, that's where you really rely on prayer. Well, see, I had to pray for strength on draft like 45 before uh, I, we got to. <laughs> I was like, oh, Lord, help me. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. And you didn't just go, all right, Dad, put, put the pencil down. Just step away and watch football for the rest of your life. You were so patient with me. I don't know how you did it. I love you. <laughs> That's the only reason that you put up with this process. Well, it's an accurate one. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye.